And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. You'll be dead. What? (laughs) I'll be careful. (laughs) I'll be careful. You'll be dead. Okay. I was like, what? (laughs) I know. I was trying to stump you, but it doesn't really give you much. And I also said it wrong. Y'all be dead. <laughs> That's kind of what he says. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm post birthday. I had an amazing birthday week. Hell My yeah. Family came over on Saturday and we had a good time. And uh, I got no complaints. All is well. Did you guys eat some pasta fazool with some uh, <laughs> no. meatballs? And you got to cook the meatballs before you put it in and then add a little <laughs> sugar and then go from there. Why didn't you tell that sweet girl that you love her? <laughs> I love you with all of my heart. If I don't see you soon again, I'm going to die. <laughs> uh, no, I don't eat spaghetti with a meatball. Yeah. Well, I eat the spaghettis, but you could do you could do a fake meatball. Yeah, I tried. I had like these garden ones once. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had a peculiar taste to them, but. Uh, wasn't really my cup of tea because I wasn't even tasting the spaghetti or the sauce so much. I just kept tasting this garden thing. <laughs> it was such a foreign <laughs> taste that it was just kind of took yeah. over, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I got you. It's been a while since I've had pasta. I'm not a huge Italian food fan, but I absolutely love lasagna. And you can actually do uh, quite a few vegetarian dishes for Italian. So I need to I need to mess around with that and see if I can make like a veggie lasagna or something like that. But sure. Yeah. But um, I'm glad you had a really good birthday week, man. I am happy for you. I'd like to see you happy. Thank you. Last time I got food poisoning was uh, a vegetable lasagna. Oh, well, and I Bobby, will not, <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I got so sick and I woke up in the middle of the night. My stomach hurt so goddamn bad. And then the next day I get a text from her. And she's like, hey, were you OK <laughs> from the pasta? I'm like, now that you mentioned it. Yeah, we both just got murdered from this stupid pasta. Ugh. She's always trying to kill people at Bobby. I know. Crazy. <laughs> she must be part of the Corleone fan. I mean. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you been watching? Um, I was busy this last weekend, the holiday weekend. Um, I went camping for three days or two days or something like that. I know it's your, it's your favorite, <laughs> but I swam in some Alpine lakes. I did some, I don't know, I ate some pretzels in Leavenworth and I just kind of hung out. So I didn't watch a ton of things, but I finally, Justin, I finally got around to watching Tenet and I absolutely loved it. Um, You and I were briefly discussing this. I know I was very delayed on watching it because I know you wanted to discuss it months ago. Yeah, and there's no way I'm watching it again. That movie sucks. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that my experience of viewing it at home where I could pause it and maybe rewind it and also watch it with, with subtitles helped immensely. Because I can totally understand the um, the negativity that comes from this movie. It's a very, very confusing plot. And it, it, it's so Christopher Nolan is notorious for making um, nondescript dialogue and, and his his sound is, is odd. Um, I love the scores he makes, but it's very big and brassy and bold. Uh, 
but the dialogue had had way too much going on, so it's hard to follow it. I didn't have an issue because I was watching it with subtitles and I was able to pause if I needed, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it was uh, very joyous and I love John David Washington. I think he was fantastic. So enjoyed that a lot. Um, there you go. I watched it. But I mean, what do you have to say to the people that that go and pay $13 and see it in a movie theater? Yeah. They have no idea what the fuck is going on only because they can't hear the movie. Right. And I think it's ridiculous. It's uh, so you, stupid. And he's telling everyone to go see it in the theater. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, everyone needs to go see this in the theater. I don't want it to go on demand or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, OK, so I can't pause it. I can't read what they're saying. I have no idea what the fuck just happened. And I'm supposed to say that this is a good movie. Get out of town, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that if if you just want to treat it as a style over substance, then sure. But even at that, there were it, it didn't. It, I mean, I think Inception had way better style and that story was a lot more more cohesive. So I could I understand the the issues with seeing it in a theater, but um, I was very happy watching it at home and I, I really enjoyed it. But but I, I had a lot of uh, cheat codes on when I was watching it. So it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I absolutely love that movie. I said on our Tarantino episode, it's actually my favorite Tarantino movie. I, I think he just nails the whole Hollywood appeal and the whole meta commentary about actors. I absolutely love it. It's it's such a good time. It's a long movie, but it 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 pace it's paced very well. Did you uh, listen to <clears throat> Tarantino's interview on the Joe Rogan podcast? Like three hours long. I listened Holy to it like shit. two nights ago. It <laughs> no, was, it was actually really good. Yeah. Yeah, I, did, I mean, I, I, did not. I can't stand Joe Rogan by himself just talking in, in a microphone saying things that I disagree with, but I like his guests and I like uh, his interviews. And so I literally sat through just sitting on my sofa listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, three hour interview and uh, it was really good. Cool. Yeah, I, I listened to one when he went on, um, I think the rewatchables and they did Dunkirk. It was either that or he went on a different show i'm pretty sure it was the rewatchables and he did dunkirk um because he he really likes nolan a lot and that's his favorite nolan film um it was it was really really cool to listen to that so i will have to check that out though because i love tarantino and then i watched demolition man that took me a while to watch justin it took me probably like three days and it's because i just got really bored watching it i really did like aspects of it like the whole um comedic aspect of every time that that someone swears it's like you were you were uh yeah, find, one credit. You yeah. find one credit <laughs> and um i liked hux huxley when she was trying to swear she's like you, really you blew never his seen ass it? right there no i never saw it oh yeah i thought i did but i it was judge dread is what i saw oh yeah she says you really licked his ass yeah, it licked his ass right there <laughs> <laughs> so funny you really met his meat <laughs> yeah so and sandra bullock is gorgeous i, I always forget how how amazing she is but yeah, she's funny in that movie. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I would like to see a remake of Demolition Man, and I, I want to see reverse roles. I want to see Michael B. Jordan play John Spartan, and then I want to see someone else play Simon Phoenix. I think that'd be mm-hmm. kind of a fun a fun movie, you know? What seems to be your boggle? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that movie, dude. It's yeah. so, I mean, I saw it when it came out, so it yeah. probably has a lot to do with it. I mean, it just screams you know, nineties action movie. Oh, totally. It's, it's so badass. I love that movie. Some of the, yeah, just some of the dialogue is, is eye rollingly cheesy, but, and Dennis Leary plays Dennis Leary in the Dennis Leary story again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Edgar friendly. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Oh, and then I also watched paranormal, paranormal activity Four. um, it is awful. I forgot how bad it is and it was on Hulu. So I just wanted to jump into it. 
but yeah, I've just forgot how horrible it is. So that's all I really watch, man. What about you? Uh, let's see. Friday, I watched the Godfather Saturday. I watched the Godfather two. Um, what was yesterday? Tuesday, Tuesday. I watched the Godfather again. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Uh, so, I mean, I've seen, I've seen both one and two a thousand times, uh, literally a thousand times before Lord of the Rings came out. I would say Godfather was probably one of my top three favorite movies ever. And then it got bumped from with Lord of the Rings. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I had these movies, dude, when they were like double VHS tapes. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it was ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I hadn't seen them in a long time. It, it's probably been the crazy thing is, Zach, um, that it's been probably 20 years since I've watched The Godfather. Wow. And I could not believe how much dialogue I remembered. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit, dude. How many times have I seen this movie that I that I just still know it by heart? It's pretty crazy. And um, no, it was just a blast. And so uh, last night I had uh, I was just kind of unwinding and uh, and just putting some last minute work to bed. And I just had it on and I just I fucking love it so much, dude. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I think if we're going to just spoil it, basically, this is this is a, a love letter to The Godfather. I mean, this is this podcast is just going to be us discussing the shit out of it. And um, yeah, absolutely love it. Very good choice. And it, I, I'm kind of the same as you, man. It's been quite some time since I saw it. So that's interesting. You went on a whole little Godfather kick this weekend. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I didn't even know it was available. It was streaming on Peacock. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? So then <laughs> I... Um, because I was going to buy it. I had it like in my cart. I was ready to buy. And then I was going to be it was the problem was it wasn't going to be delivered until after the holiday weekend. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, that just won't do. So I I just decided to to hold off. And then I saw it was on Peacock and I was like, no shit, bro. And then so I turned it on. There you and go. It was great. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. So, yeah, this week we are doing The Godfather from 1972. Uh, as I said, it is available on the Peacock there directed by Francis Ford Coppola, who you might know from Apocalypse Now. I f- totally forgot that he did Dracula yeah. uh, and the Rainmaker <laughs> and Jack. Not simple Jack, but just Jack. Not simple Jack. <laughs> <laughs> you m- 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 make me happy. <laughs> uh, it was written by Mario Puzo. Um, man, Mario Puzo did super- wrote Superman Superman 2? Yeah. Where and are you getting this information I IMDb. <laughs> And and Superman too, you know about the story, right? Like with the Richard Donner, yeah, you know, the Donner rest cut in peace. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty insane because I owned the Donner cut, and I I actually prefer it to the original Superman two. Sure. Um, or the, sorry, the the finished Superman two. The Donner cut is, is better, but yeah, Mario Mario Puzo he wrote uh, he wrote it. That's pretty awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Thank it. Uh, the cast is uh, who's who. You have. Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, a normal young Al Pacino, not crazy town banana pants Al Pacino. <laughs> She's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> got James Caan, Robert Duvall, a young Robert Duvall. Who knew that was ever possible? The man has been old <laughs> since I was a child. Which, interestingly enough, he's 39 years old in The Godfather, and I am now 41. And when I look at Robert Duvall, and I'm now two years older than what he was in 1972, I was a little blown wow. away. Not lie. He's 39 in that movie? Yeah. Wow. He looks good for 39, especially in the 70s. Damn. Damn. Crazy. D- Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, uh, John Cazale, Richard S. Castellano, and Sterling Hayden. 
Critical reception is pretty much over the charts. Uh, you're looking at 97%. And while everyone loves this movie and can't say enough good about it, I found one negative review. It's this Arthur Schlesinger Jr. And he says, uh, an overblown, pretentious, slow, and ultimately tedious three-hour quasi-epic. And this is from March 29th, 2021. So just a couple months ago. Uh, he, he writes for Vogue. Don't just stand there. Let's get to it. Strike a pose. There's <laughs> nothing to it. Vogue. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a billion positive reviews. We're about to give two. So uh, I'll just skip those. Uh, the budget was $6 million and it grossed $134 million in the United States. Uh, 302,000 in opening weekend, and you're looking at 246,000 worldwide. Uh, I'm sure that accounts for uh, like re-releases and back when movies were out for like five months at a time. So, you know, it, yeah. it got its, it got its, its cheddar back. It's from macho. <laughs> from macho. I mean, it's cheese, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There is a lot of really good trivia, so I only it was it was kind of hard to pick, but I think I picked like six items. Um, I implore everyone to go out there if you love film and just read some because it is quite remarkable. But anyhow, Lenny Montana, who played Luca, Luca Brazzi, uh, was so nervous about working with Marlon Brando because at this time, Marlon Brando was like, you know, the, the cream of the crop, baby, the cat's the cat's pajamas. So um, it was pretty awesome to work with him. But anyhow. He was so nervous working with him that in the first take of their scene together, he flubbed some lines. And so director Francis Ford Coppola, he liked it so much and he liked all the genuine nervousness that he used it in the final cut. So the scenes of Luca practicing his speech were added later. And that was a really interesting scene because Michael kind of just really nonchalantly explains the whole he made him an offer he couldn't refuse and had a gun to his head sort of story. And that's Luca. So really, really interesting. Um, anyhow, cinematographer Gordon Willis earned himself the nickname The Prince of Darkness since he sets er, since his sets were so underlit. It was a dark movie. I did notice that it was very dark. They were operating in the shadows a lot. Mm -hmm. Paramount Pictures executives initially thought that the footage was too dark until persuaded otherwise by Willis and and Francis Ford Coppola that it was to emphasize the shadiness of the Corleone family's dealings. And that is yeah. really interesting. I, dig yeah, that. I mean, that's 100 percent true, especially anytime they were downstairs right by the stairway. That was always dark. His office was always dark. Uh, the only things that were ever really lit were inside the house mm -hmm. would be uh, the dinner table and uh, uh, Vito's desk. Everything else was usually pretty dark. Yeah, it was uh, unless it was a daylight scene like the wedding. I think the lightness represented, you know, family camaraderie, all that stuff, because when they're at the dinner table, it's it's well lit because they're all together. Because when mm -hmm. you're here, you're family, the Olive Garden and uh, the, the wedding was obviously during the daylight. So and that was, was mostly bright. outside, though. Exactly. That's what I mean. That was an external shot versus any internal, internal shots in the Corleone mm -hmm. family. Uh, how home mm -hmm. was always uh, dark. Like that amazing scene when when Vito goes to Tom and he's like, my wife is in tears and cars are coming up and down and all that stuff. And he goes, so as my consigliere, you know, you're supposed to tell me what happens as, <laughs> after Sonny does. Drink. Yeah. Now, why don't you tell me? <laughs> yeah, that was a hard That's scene. Weird. That's a tough mm -hmm. scene. So, um, yeah, so there uh, there was intense friction between Francis Ford Coppola and Paramount Pictures in which Paramount Pictures frequently tried to have Coppola replaced, citing his inability to stay on schedule, unnecessary expenses and production and casting errors. 
Fun fact, though, Coppola actually completed the film ahead of schedule and under budget. Now, Coppola famously directed Apocalypse Now, which, if you don't know the backstory of that, was a complete shit show, also starring Marlon Brando for like 10 minutes. But anyhow, that movie was a complete shit show. And he still came under budget for that as well and on time. So FFC, he uh, he knows how to he knows how to complete a deadline there. Pretty cool. Well, I mean, with Apocalypse Now, I mean. Didn't Martin Sheen have like a heart attack or something? Yeah, yeah. There he was, was problems. <laughs> he was drunk. Well, he was drunk in that opening scene of him in the hotel room, like fighting the mirror and just being all crazy. He was actually hammered. And then yeah. Marlon Brando went all crazy. Um, I think Duvall was fine. But yeah, it just was a whole there was a whole litany of issues. So mm-hmm. uh, Francis Ford Coppola insisted on the film being called Mario Puzo's The Godfather rather than just The Godfather because his original draft of the screenplay was so faithful to the novel, he thought Puzo deserved the credit for it. And that is really cool. And we talked about that before when the author of the of the novel comes on as a screenplay uh, or comes on as a writer for the screenplay, like uh, Gillian Flynn in Gone Girl. You get some really interesting um, adaptations, really faithful adaptations. And I think they should uh, directors should strive for that more often. Studios should trying to get the actual author, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. But uh, in this case, obviously it worked out. And then finally, real life gangsters responded enthusiastically to the film, with many of them feeling it was a portrayal of how they were supposed to act. Salvatore Sammy the Bull Gravano, the former underboss in the Gambino crime family, stated, I left the movie stunned. I mean, I floated out of the theater. Maybe it was fiction, but for me, then that was our life. It was incredible. I remember taking or talking to a multitude of guys, made guys, who felt exactly the same way. According to Anthony Flato, after seeing the film, Patri- Patri- what? Patriarcha crime family members, Polly Intizo and Nikki Giso, altered their speech patterns closer to that of Vito Corleone's. Uh, and Tiso would frequently swear and use poor grammar, but after the movie came out, he started to articulate and philosophize more. Huh. So now he's a philosophizer. <laughs> there you go. Crazy <laughs> stuff. I mean, that is really important, and, and we'll touch on that a little later, too. The, just the cultural impact of this movie had on on gangster films, on, on film history, on anything like that, on how we, we see the Italian mob. I mean... I am not Italian, so I do do not want to speak for Italian Americans, but I do have Italian American friends and they have said that this movie was like a staple in their household growing up. So that is uh, very, very interesting. So um, I think what we are going to do is something a little different. We are going to give a synopsis for this film, but we are going to kind of break it down because this is a long movie. It's uh, three hours. And we want to kind of give a briefish synopsis and then in between we'll interject after certain parts and we will have a discussion. Um, there's no surprise that we both absolutely love this film, but we will talk about why we absolutely love this film. So does that work for you, Justin? Yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right. Well, if you have not seen The Godfather, you are crazy, but uh, you should see it. Anyhow, in 1945, New York City, at his daughter Connie's wedding to Carlo, Vito Corleone, the don of the Corleone crime family, listens to requests. His youngest son, Michael, who was a Marine during World War II, introduces his girlfriend, Kay Adams, to the family at the reception. Johnny Fontaine, a popular singer and Vito's godson, seeks Vito's help in securing a movie role. 
Vito dispatches his consigliere, Tom Hagen, to Los Angeles to persuade studio head Jack Waltz to give Johnny the part. Waltz refuses until he wakes up in bed with the severed head of his prized stallion. Yikes. So this is about the first 30 <clears throat> to 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's about the first 30. I'd yeah. Say. And um, I mean, how, how are we feeling? So we, we start out this movie with this giant, beautiful wedding scene that looks all sorts of fun. Um, I've never been to an Italian wedding, but there it seems like you have third, fifth, fourth cousins. The mailman's there. It seems like everyone is at this wedding and, and, and it's a good time. We we start out with uh, Bonacera, you know, saying, I believe in America. And he's asking his Don for a favor. Um, there's the rule that you have to listen to all requests on the day of what your daughter's wedding or you can't refuse any requests. Yeah. On the day of your daughter's wedding. So we are treated to a lot of character and world building just off of these first 30 minutes. There's a ton going on. And me personally, I did not feel any issues with the pace of this. I was bought into the family members you could see they all kind of had their own thing going and it was a good setup for the, the direction that they could take. Um, in if you are to retroactively look at this movie, we would think ga- gangster films are very bloody, but we're not getting anything until the severed horse head about 35 minutes in into the movie. So if you go into this expecting guns blazing and all that kind of stuff happening, you are in for a pleasant surprise as you get amazing dialogue, amazing acting moments, and then just that tension between Waltz and, and Hagen where Waltz calls him, what does he call him? He calls him a, okay. a, a kraut mick and yeah. um, just completely refuses the, the, uh, the request the entire time. Hagen is just very calm and collected. And is like, you know, I'll, I'll tell Mr. Corleone, but he, what does he say? Justin, he says something about like, he doesn't like to be asked twice or something. Um, he insists on getting bad news, uh, immediately. Yeah, exactly. And then we get the, the music, like we'll, we'll go more into this, but the music just builds up as it starts to get real eerie. And then you see the disgusting cartoon, the horse's head in his bed. And I am just like, what the fuck am I watching? This is a hardcore movie. So, I mean, how did you feel these first 30 minutes? (laughs) Sure. So, Uh, This movie has a very large cast. There's a ton of characters and it's kind of a Hollywood trick to to get them all into one place at once. And that's exactly what this wedding does. We literally get to see all the players in one uh, opening act, which is pretty cool, including all like the five families, because like, you know, even all these Barzini is there, um, who is a major player. And so we got to see all the Corleone family. We got to see the underlings, the. The um, all the different mini bosses, the capos, I guess you can call them. And then um, just kind of seeing how intimidating Vito Corleone really is, you know, just sitting there at his desk playing with his little cat, listening to all these different requests. <laughs> and then you have Michael who's there and he's sort of uh, he's that one relative that you kind of talk to that knows everybody, you know, like if you've ever gone to uh, a big wedding and there's just a, a sea of faces, but then there's usually one relative that knows a little bit about everyone and can kind of fill you in. Uh, that's sort of what we're we're sort of treated to with introductions. 
uh, and it's great. And then uh, we get to see that the different types of characters, you know, like Sonny, he he's definitely a hothead. And we see that right away when he breaks the, the poor photographer's camera and then throws a couple bucks his way. Like, hey, sorry, I broke the camera. You know? um, get to see that some of the, the goons uh, like Polly, where he's just like, oh, this is somebody else's wedding. Oh, my goodness. I would steal all this money kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. then, um, you know, we get to see Clemenza and Tessio uh, having a good time. Um it was just it was really cool to, to be introduced to everyone. You don't need to know their names, but they do these things that 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 uh, elicit some kind of emotion. So you remember them, um, you know, you're you want to like Tessio and you want to like Clemenza. You know, you're not sure how to feel about Sonny because he is a hothead. You can recognize pretty quickly that Fredo is just a moron. You know, he's like all kind of drunk. And he's like, oh, Fre- well, you well, know, my brother, Mike yeah. and, and Fredo's. <laughs> yeah yeah i love that oh and God. so and then we get to start the backstory on tom and mm-hmm. how he was just a homeless kid and sonny brought him home like a puppy and his dad said he could keep him so i mean uh <laughs> it's, it's really cool I, I i dig that i thought that was fantastic and uh there aren't too many movies that do anything like this uh and i think the godfather pulled it off pretty well you know well, they're having a good yeah. time the music's playing there's a lot going on even that scene with barzini when the photographer takes his picture and then he sends one of his goons to go and just get the film and they rip it up you're <laughs> like whoa what's this guy's deal man why is this guy a creeper <laughs> yeah um, and then even just having the police uh, outside the compound you know writing down license plates you know, it's like the world's worst secret that the Corleones are bad. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? So it's I was enjoying the shit out of it the first time I saw it. I, I was able to recognize at a pretty young age that I was watching something pretty special. Right. And I think, you know, it's it's so important on how you start a film. So like one of our well, one of my favorite films is Boogie Nights. And that opening scene when you're introduced to all the characters in the five minutes on that on that one take, you know, I think it's it's so paramount. And, and when you have I wouldn't necessarily I don't know if I'd call the Godfather an ensemble cast because a lot of these actors were still up and coming. I mean, looking at it now, you could be like, oh, absolutely. But it's hard to introduce all your characters and get a vibe. And I think at the core of of the Godfather is the Corleone family. Um, Vito loves his kids. He loves his wife. And and family is at is at the heart of it. You know, Vin, very Vin Diesel style family. But the wedding is the perfect way to introduce that because we get to see all those connections and we get to, to know all the natural or all, all the, uh, the major players in the film organically. It doesn't seem forced and there's not a whole bunch of ridiculous exposition about, you know, well, Polly joined us from this day and he's this kind of henchman. It, it just kind of happens because it's someone asking and, and the introduction of Kay where she doesn't know shit, you know, we get to l- learn Luca Brazzi's story because Michael explains it to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this idea that Michael very nonchalantly is talking about the family business, about him holding a gun to the big band leader's head. And Kay is just kind of like, holy shit. He's like, that's, you know, that's my, that's my father. That's not me. So it seems like Michael already kind of told her what she's getting into. So right. I think, I think that wedding scene is just phenomenal. And I could see how it could be slow it, for, for some people, but I absolutely loved it. Sure. And I mean, that story that he's talking about is with Johnny Fontaine, who is based off of Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So what's unique about that is you're like, okay, so is is that why Frank Sinatra is as successful (laughs) as he is? You know, like uh, kids today, you know, might not care a whole lot about who who Frank Sinatra is. But in 1972, you better believe uh, that the world was very much in love with 
Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And and Frank Sinatra is actually really pissed at Mario Puzo. There's a fun trivia fact that he ran into him at like a restaurant, confronted him, and he said he was going to kick his ass because of that portrayal. Um, it's interesting, though, because I'm I'm wondering now. I mean, and Puzo has said that, no, 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 that's not, you know, he denied that's not based off of Frank Sinatra. But I think everything that kind of adds up to it, like he's he's an actor, he's trying to break it in Hollywood and all that. Yeah, it's it makes it makes a, a ton of sense, but really enjoyed his his character for that. Right. But yeah, so I, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I dug that. And I like it when when the Godfather kind of slaps him around. He's like, you can act like a man. Yeah. <laughs> slaps him. What's the matter with you? And they're all fucking tops, like cracking up laughing in the background. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, that scene was improvised. Brando yeah. uh, improvised that. And yeah. um, another fun fact too: Brando, he well, he was pretty old uh, filming this, but he had to have yeah, his... really he was in his 40s. He was 48. He was 48. Yeah, uh, I thought he was pretty old when he's doing. I this. mean, they make him look old because of Hollywood. Yeah, Pocus pocus, but he's only 48 years old. Uh, that's fair is. enough. I guess he died in the 90s, but he um, he had to have his uh, his lines on cue cards. He did not really memorize them. He memorized some of them, but most of them were on cue cards. And so it's apparent when you watch it uh, in the film, if you're paying attention to that, he kind of looks he looks to the side. and You can see him reading stuff, but he improvised that scene. And so I guess that's why Rob Duvall was like, well, he's laughing. Yeah. So did you even, even Johnny Fontaine's not sure if he's supposed <laughs> no. to laugh or <laughs> exactly. He's like, should I cry or should I laugh? <laughs> did you um, what kind of movie did you think this was after these first 30 minutes? Like, what did you think you were getting into? Let's say you didn't know what The Godfather was at all. And you just went in cold turkey. What kind of movie did you think you were getting into? Um, well, I knew it was a mob movie because I had already seen Scarface uh, when I saw Godfather. And my dad sat me down uh, him because I, I like Scarface. He's like, oh, my God. Well, let me show you the Godfather. And so we watched that. Uh, but I knew ahead of time that it was long because I saw two fucking cassette tapes that I, that I had or two VHS tapes. Uh, <laughs> but I knew it was going to be um, a mob movie similar in a way to to like a rise and fall of a family uh, a la Scarface. You know, right. so that w- I had gotten an education. I wasn't I wasn't surprised by what I was watching. Um, I do remember being uh, I thought it was interesting when there wasn't subtitles when they spoke Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking like, what am I supposed to not know what they're saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is interesting when we'll get to it, like with McCluskey. But mm-hmm. what was cool is because I, I felt like they don't want me to know what they're saying. So I shouldn't know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I kind of dug on that vibe. Yeah, it was a really interesting choice. And, you know, since since it's it, it's come out, you can find the subtitles like what they say online. And it's interesting. Um, I don't know the reason why. And I don't think I ever found a, an explanation for the reason why they didn't include those um, subtitles. But that's OK. I think that goes into into the whole mystery of the uh, of the film. Right. Mm-hmm. The, but all right. Well, moving on. So shortly before Christmas, drug baron Salazzo backed by the Tatalia crime family, asked Vito for investment in his narcotics business and protection through his political connections. Wary of involvement in dangerous in a dangerous new trade that risks alienating political insiders, Vito declines. Suspicious, Vito sends his enforcer, Luca Brazzi, to spy on them. Brazzi is garroted to death during his meeting with Bruno Tatalia and Salazzo. Later, Salazzo kidnaps Hagen, and then Vito then has Vito gunned down in the street. Vito's eldest son, Sonny, takes command. Salazzo pressures Hagen to persuade Sonny to accept Salazzo's deal, then releases him. The family receives a fish wrapped in Brazzi's bulletproof vest, indicating that Luca sleeps with the fishes. 
Vito survives, and at the hospital, Michael thwarts another attempt on his father. Michael's jaw is broken by NYPD Captain McCluskey, Salazzo's unofficial bodyguard. Sonny retaliates with a hit on Tatalia's son. The Corleone's plot to murder Salazzo and McCluskey. Feigning a desire to settle the dispute, Michael meets with them in a Bronx restaurant in which, after retrieving a handgun planted by Clemenza, a Corleone capo, he kills both men. So, we will start towards the beginning. You got the deal with the uh, Corleone family, and um, who does he, he meets with Salazzo, who is like... Yeah, we, the, Turk. the Turk. We got this really good deal going on. We got drugs. It's going to be huge. I tell you, it's going to be huge. And Vito is very respectful. He's like, I get it, but we don't want anything to do with that. I, I wish you the best luck on your endeavors because our business doesn't mix. So we're not enemies. He, because just like any mobster should always be watching their back. He sends his enforcer, Luca Brazzi, who just uh, basically pledges life to Don Vito. He sends him to spy. Yeah, they have a long history together. Yep. Uh, yeah. Decades. Yeah. And it sounds like that. And it's cool that we don't need to go back super far. And, and he doesn't need to be like, remember that time that I saved you saved me right. from the car and the, blah, blah, the blah. The book does. If okay. you read the book, uh, there's a lot of Luca Brazzi. And he's a very, very bad man. Like, yeah. Uh, he is a, a horrible human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it's, I, I think it's nice that they can throw nuggets in there to, to kind of understand. And just by saying he's the muscle, you get it. You understand. But, uh, when Luca, when Luca is uh, killed, it was pretty surprising. You know, um, I think that kind of sets up the rest of the film where you can't really trust anyone because Vito sent him for a reason and his reasons were valid. He said, I don't trust Salazzo. And then he ends up getting killed by Tatalia and Salazzo. Um, Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, even even him getting gunned down in the street and fucking Fredo just, you know, he sends his dumbass son as his bodyguard. I don't I don't get that one. But. Well, yeah, because because Polly called out sick. Oh, yeah. Like four or five times this month already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Polly called out sick and Fredo, you know, he didn't mind. He loves hanging out with his dad. He loves his dad. Um, you know, he's not he's not very useful at being, you know, a bodyguard, but he was more or less just his driver. Um, you know, he wasn't ex- no one expects much from Fredo. He's just not capable. Uh, he's not. He's not a bad man. He's just uh, a delicate flower. That's all. Yeah. Um, you know that's interesting. I do. Uh, so after he, he, you know, they gunned down um, Vito. Excuse me. Yeah, he shot five times. Shot five times. He does survive, but he's in the hospital. You, you see Michael obviously caring about his father. He learns in the weirdest way, you know, through a newspaper headline that his father yeah, was was almost killed. Edition. Yeah, exactly. Extra, extra. Read all about it. So, you know, what a horrible way to learn. But he, Michael, the golden child, uh, you know, the saint, he, he comes to his father's side. And there's that amazing scene in the film where he goes into the hospital, sees that no one's guarding him. No one's basically working there. And his father is just sitting there unguarded, unprotected and vulnerable. And Michael knows he's going to get killed. So the tension just builds as he, he coerces the nurse to, to move him. And then you get the footsteps walking with the amazing shots of the empty hospital. And I think this is one of the coolest scenes that I've seen in a movie in a very long time, because you're just on edge the entire time. Like, who the hell is walking up? Who is this guy? Who is this made man with a hat and flowers? <laughs> I am Enzo, the baker. <laughs> yeah. 
And honestly, Enzo. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and honestly, it's interesting because we don't really know who Enzo is, and and he could double cross Michael, but Michael well, you, obviously trusts him. You know, we get a hint of who Enzo is because uh, the baker, uh, the father of the baker, the basically the the owner of the bakery mm-hmm. has a daughter, and he wants his daughter to marry Enzo, so he and that, so they can fall in love together, and he can stay in the country. And that was one of the requests at the wedding. Oh yeah, uh, was for Enzo. Uh, to get citizenship. So one of the things that they were going to do was use one of their political contacts. And it shows you very clearly that, yes, Vito does have political pull. And he so much so that he was able to use a congressman to be able to to fast track citizenship for Enzo. And that is why Enzo goes to the hospital for to pay respect. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm here for, for your father, for your father. Uh, he barely speaks any English, but he knows what his dad did for him. And this is the least that he could do. Right. Um, literally indebted to him. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, how incredible was that hospital scene, though? And- oh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And um, one of the cool things, uh, as far as like turning points go for Michael, um, that is when you really get to see uh, his mind working. You know, it starts off with him having dinner uh, with Kay and he's just got his father on his mind and then he leaves. He can't even enjoy his dinner with with his girlfriend, um, someone that he was probably planning on spending the rest of his life with. Um, he goes to the hospital and then he immediately calls his brother. He's like, yeah, uh, Tessio's men aren't here. There's no one here. There's no guards. There's no nothing. Um, and, you know, this is bad. So then he, he knows to get the nurse involved, to to move him to a different room uh, for his protection. And then to go stand outside and put up a front like, hey, don't worry. Our, our guys are still here. You better, you know, you know, keep moving, guys. And uh, that is really when you you get to see that Michael is a bit of a badass and and you know you find out later that he is a war hero he was awarded the navy cross he's he's a bad motherfucker um but it's all kind of being pieced together very very slowly and this is one of those first moments where you're just like i'm kind of scared right now yeah (laughs) and you know he's just a kid uh you know he's he's in his early 20s and uh but he's 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 seen it all he's been to world war ii man and so there at this point, there's almost nothing that can scare him. If he if he was awarded the Navy Cross for doing some crazy batshit Batman kind of move and save the day, <laughs> he has seen a lot of horrible things that this world has to offer. And so that's really reassuring to the viewer that you know Michael is a very capable person. You know, he doesn't yeah. need these bodyguards. He is the fucking bodyguard. So that's pretty cool. And just to have the sense to know. He he seems so collected, and and I, we've talked about this before. I I want to be like Michael, minus all the murder and the crime and stuff. I want to be like Michael in the sense of I have answers to everything, and I'm like three steps ahead of everybody. He tells what's his name Enzo the baker. Yeah. Um. He tells him he's like you know, throw these flowers away, lift your coat jacket up, put your hands in your pocket like you're holding a gun, but you don't have a gun. He knows right away what to do. He is a planner and he has a solution and it is awesome. I mean, sure, he he is nervous when that car rolls up as he kind of reaches into his jacket, but he knows how these things work. So even though he is this golden boy who who is a war hero, he knows the family business. And I think mm-hmm. we as an audience get to see this right away. And you're like, holy shit, what's happening with Michael? This is uh, this movie's going in a different direction than maybe I anticipated, because I don't know if you were to blank slate, see this, think that Michael is going to start turning. You were just like, whoa, that was really awesome. And also kind of scary at the same point. Right. And we, we find out that he was, 
you know, getting an Ivy League education. You know, he's he's the smart one out of the bunch. Uh, you know, they have a lot of kids, the Corleones. You got Sonny. You got uh, Tom, who's adopted, but he's a lawyer. Uh, you got uh, Connie, then Michael and Fredo. Or Fredo, then Michael. Michael's the baby. And, um, you know, he's he's the he's the best. <laughs> he's the best yeah. of the bunch. Uh, Tom is a remarkable, you know, person and 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 awesome family member but he remember he's tom hagan not tom corleone so yeah um, he's not even of, italian exactly um so uh, yeah 100 agree i'm on board i love how enzo was shaking and he was scared he's like oh my god we almost fucking died just now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that was pretty great and and michael the car the car that pulls up to to murder uh, Vito Corleone, you know, the guy look, the driver looks over and he sees Michael going for his jacket. Like he's got a yeah, gun. Yeah. And that's when they're like, ah, fuck it. Let's just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that what was, I meant. That was pretty great. Yeah. You know, and a fun fact, I don't know if this is accurate, if this is accurate, but and correct me if I'm wrong. He does take Enzo's lighter and um, I believe he keeps it throughout the film because once uh, Michael has basically the full turn and he's the boss and he goes to Las Vegas, he's holding the lighter and he's opening it and flipping it. And I'm pretty right. positive that's the same lighter. And I wonder if that is significant in the sense of that was the turning point for him where he's like, I I know what I need to do. So I, I think so. Yeah. In fact, he has the lighter in, in his hands in several scenes. Anytime mm-hmm. he's um, anytime he is doing some Mikey, some hot gangster shit, he's twirling his um, his Zippo. Just out here doing hot girl shit. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, what? It, so I have a, I have a couple questions from this. Um, fun fun fact that I actually just thought of today as I was watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The film that Leonardo DiCaprio is in is called The Fourteen Fists of McCluskey. Now, uh, NYPD Captain McCluskey breaks Michael's jaw with his fist. Do you think that was on purpose, or am I just stretching there? I have no idea. I think I was. That that is that would be awesome if it's true though. Yeah, I my my interpretations of like I mean I think that's funny and it, I'll I'll buy it. I'm like yeah sure why not? Uh, I mean Tarantino likes to do fun uh, Easter eggs like that. Absolutely, and they had the, the little Jake Lamada poster in the background when Vito was buying the uh, oranges and stuff like that. I mean obviously mm-hmm. you know um, Raging Bull with Jake Lamada and everything. Sure. I know that that came out after, but still. Um, so. One question I didn't I, I didn't know, and I don't know if it's answered. They finger Polly as a rat and they they what? Um, what's his name? Costanza? Not Costanza. <laughs> um, <laughs> Costanza. Clemenza. Clemenza and Rocco, whoever Rocco is. They take Polly out, you know, and they're planning. They're talking about the mattresses and stuff. Clemens is like, I got to take a piss out here on this beautiful shot with a Statue of Liberty in the back representing freedom and this tall grass right there. And then, boom, Rocco shoots Polly because they know that Polly was a rat. Is it ever explained that Polly was a rat? Yeah, because he well, he called out sick uh, on the day that Vito was shot. Mm-hmm. So that's why they assumed that he is the rat because right. His job, his only job is to be Vito's bodyguard. Yeah. And so that's the two and two that they put together. And I mean, we're given my favorite line from the film. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. I I think that when Clemenza says that, I think that sums up the entire film where there are priorities in certain ways and it's strictly business. I I think that was ad lib, too. Yeah, it was. 
Yes, um, it was. But yeah, when he gets in the car, he's like, you know any good spots on the west side? <laughs> that's like one of, my, that's one of my favorite lines. It's funny that, you know, you like the, you know, leave the gun, take the cannoli, because I like the part before that. You know any mm-hmm. good spots on the west side? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And uh, my sister, when we would be parking at like a, trying to find parking at like a mall or something, we'd be like, you see, you see any good spots? <laughs> Love it. So, you know, this this paragraph is is heavy because we, we, we have a lot of amazing moments in this film. And one of the most memorable f- moments in this film is the Louis Diner scene. Is that what it is? Lu- yes, yeah, Louis. But before we get to that, yeah, um, the were you about to read the next part of the synopsis? Um, I think or are I, you still on this part? Well, no, I'm still on this part. I wrote, okay. you know, he was in the Bronx restaurant. And then after retrieving a handgun planted by Clemenza, a Corleone Capo, he kills both men. Right. Okay. So prior to all of that, Sonny has like flipped his lid. He is ready to explode. He wants to go to war. Uh, this is the the worst thing that could ever happen. It would destroy the family. Um, and Tom tries to like just cool his jets. He's like, "This is this is business, Sonny. It's not personal." And Sonny just doesn't want to hear it. And then when Michael's like, "Well, why don't we just kill McCluskey and Salazzo?" <laughs> and and then Sonny's like, he's like. Uh, he's like, Tom, this is business. And this man is taking it very, very personal. <laughs> <laughs> That's like one of my favorite moments ever is when Sonny just always turns something back around on somebody. I think yeah. it's, he does it multiple times. He does it to Carlo uh, later on uh, with the business at the table. But when he's like, when he's laughing at Michael and he's like, Tom, this is business. And this man is taking it very, very personal. <laughs> fucking love it like even even when all this horrible shit's going down you know brothers are brothers and family is family and you can just have moments with each other like that and that's that's what the most special thing about family is to me like in a, in a vin diesel sort of way we got family <laughs> is that no matter what's happening i could be at a funeral with my family and we will still be cracking jokes with each other and that is just you can't put a, a dollar on that and i really think that that this movie was able to to do that and capture that sort of magic to where you believe that they are siblings. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. What are you going to do? College boy. Didn't want to get mixed <laughs> up in the family business, huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain. Why? Because he slapped you in the face a little bit, huh? What do you think this is? The army where you shoot him a mile away, you got to get up close and then you got a bada bing, you know, blow the brains all over your nice Ivy league college suit. Give me a yeah. bada bing, bada bing. Yeah. <laughs> taking this very personal tom this is business and this man is is taking it very 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 personal personal. it is really good so really good he's literally telling him exactly what tom just told him yeah it's so funny yeah no it is it is excellent and i mean again along with the hospital scene when when michael devises this plot he's sitting there and he just knows it's like he's known this plot the entire time and it's like, holy shit, this guy is sinister. <laughs> mm-hmm. He has got his stuff down. Um, where where Sonny is a complete opposite. Sonny's a hothead. You call Sonny a fuckface and he'll he'll stab you 19 times. I mean, that is not the way to be a Don. Michael is the the terrifying, calm, cool, and collected Don. And right. uh, you know, obviously not Don yet, but still. But they also have this weird sort of democratic thing going on where they're all spitballing ideas. Mm-hmm. Whereas if Vito was there he would be the only one talking. Sure. He's got the experience. He knows what he's doing. But it's interesting to see there's eight people in this room and they're all pitching in and giving different ideas and, and what would work, what wouldn't work, how are we going to do this? 
Um, you know, that's what being like Clemenza and Tessio, um, you know, guys that have, that grew up with, with Vito, uh, well, not necessarily grew up, but, you know, in the early stages of his, uh, criminal career, you know, people that they can depend on that are there to help sort of facilitate how this murder is going to take murder, place. Murder, you say? But uh, yeah, let's talk about that murder. How incredible was that scene? How much do you like that scene? The, the Louis Diner or whatever it is. They got really good food. No one asks questions. You, yeah. drop the, you drop the gun and leave. Yeah. He's like, how's the Italian food in this joint? <laughs> Try the veal. Best in the city. Best in the city. He's, <laughs> I'm going to speak to Michael in Italian. Go ahead. I'm going to eat or yeah. whatever he says. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I love it, man. I like how you just hear like fucking trains going by and cars going by. It's a, it's a loud restaurant, even though there's no one really in there. There's just sort of an ambiance, I guess would be the right word for mm-hmm. it. And uh, really digging. I love the back and forth. I love how I have no idea what the fuck they're saying. I think I know what they're saying. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, Michael's getting frustrated. We're seeing this sort of metamorphosis take place where he's 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 scared. Then he's angry. And then he knows he's got to do it. And I really, really like uh, the morphine that takes place. I think it's fucking awesome. Like, he's like, you know what? I've heard enough. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, you know, he's like, he's like, yeah, what guarantee? Eat a dick, dude. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, and that's so interesting because he says, he's like, you know, sit down, talk. Like Tom tells him, sit down, talk, order food, and then ask to go to the bathroom. After their conversation with Salazzo, you can see, and this is amazing acting done by Pacino. Just the nonverbal communication on his face, everything you're saying where he's scared and it turns to pure anger after that, he just goes, May I use the restroom? Like yeah. for me, I would be like, no, 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 you're not going to go right now after we just had that that discussion. But you can tell Salato is a little kind of like, yeah, yeah, you can go. But that's kind of weird. But the entire time McCluskey's still just, you know, stuff in his face. Um, brilliant. Yeah, he's, just, he's just a dumb white man. Right? Yeah. Which is what we are watching the movie. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> just absolutely brilliant. And and the whole tension building where they cut to Salazzo McCluskey sitting there kind of waiting like, oh, he's taking a little longer than he needs to. Uh, Michael can't find the gun at first. And then he finally finds it and he kind of has to combs his hair. He kind of psychs himself up a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, make sure you shoot him to a piece in the head. It's uh, drop the gun and walk away. What what an incredible scene, because that is that is the metamorphosis of of who Michael Corleone becomes, basically. And that is excuse me. That is the um, the the turning point. One of one of the turning points, I should say. I think that that's the last people. I think that's the only people we ever see him kill on camera, too. Really? I have not seen The Godfather two or three in a while, but I will save that discussion for our follow up episodes. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't believe he I mean he tells he's like hey go kill that guy or whatever I mean there's plenty of that but him physically shooting somebody right I I don't remember another time to be honest with you yeah yeah I I haven't seen Godfather 3 in several years so he might kill somebody in that yeah Uh, I in fact yeah I think I've only seen Godfather 3 once and I was not into it at all so I'm curious to watch it again um, you know, down the road. Right. So one question, do you think there are any good people in these movies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, I think that, um, Kay is a good person. I think that, um, the, I think, I mean, Tom obviously is morally flexible, but, um, 
I think he's got, uh, you know, some square shoulders. And then I think that, you know, the mom, you know, uh, she's she's a good person. Mm -hmm. But I mean, as far as like the men that are mixed up in this business, the answer is probably no. I mean, they're, they're bad guys killing other bad guys. So I don't know. It's kind of a gray area. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I mean, so, someone cutting off a horse's head and putting it in a bed is pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think Tom is the one that physically does that. I think he would have somebody do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't. I mean, I, and I think all the people like um, like uh, Bonacera, you know, the the mm-hmm. mortician, uh, you know, the ba- Enzo, the baker. I mean, I think all the... Uh, the community is good, but I don't think that the Corleone family is necessarily good. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. So despite a clampdown by the authorities, war breaks out between the five families and Vito fears for his family. Time to uh, time to unite the five families of the Dunder Mifflin building. <laughs> cool guy, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Cool guy, Paul. <laughs> Um, Michael takes refuge in Sicily and his elder brother, Fredo, is sheltered by Mo Green in Las Vegas. Sunny I'm attack. going to learn the ways of the casino. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny attacks Carlo on the street for abusing Connie and threatens to kill him if it happens again. When it does, Sunny speeds to their home, but is ambushed at a highway toll booth and violently murdered by rival gangsters wielding submachine guns. While in Sicily, Michael meets and marries Apollonia, but a car bomb intended for him takes her life. So at this point, we're what, maybe two hours into the movie, hour and a half into the movie. How did you feel about the pacing and the length of the film? Were, were you ever bored by it or did you ever think it, 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 you know, felt too long? I have never once been bored by The Godfather. I agree. And for a three hour film, even if I was halfway through, I still felt fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed the countryside scenes uh, going to Sicily and you get to see Italy because it's just absolutely beautiful. But you get a different, uh, a different change of pace, and mm-hmm. and you see what's kind of happening with with Michael. We get again more more transformation into the the boss that he is. Like when they go and meet um, uh, Apollonia's father. Apollonia's father. I, I was I forgot his name. I was going to say his name, but uh, when they meet him, you know. And he's like, no, you will not talk to my daughter, blah, blah, blah. And Michael's like, go get him. Bring him back. <laughs> There's you know? no such woman in this town. <laughs> yeah, no such woman in this town. Um, very, very interesting and very cool. And and it's weird because you're like, holy shit, he just got married to her. What happened to Kay? This is going to be interesting. One question, though, that I had was who planted the car bomb? It was Fredo, right? Or not Fredo. No, it was the bodyguard that was doing the talking for the father, uh, for Apollonia's father. Okay. So, but who was he working for? Who who, who knows? Uh, one of the one of the five families back home paid okay. to have that done. Okay. So I think in the book they discuss how he gets killed. Callo, I think is his name. Yeah. Callo, Callo. I think they explain how he gets killed for setting that up, but. That was uh that was something I didn't I didn't really know. It was one of those unanswerable questions almost. Did you, you did you did you think this movie was going to end fairly soon after this or were you expecting another like hour and a half? No, I was expecting a long time. I remember I had two VHS tapes <laughs> to go through. <laughs> the other one was special uh, features, Justin. <laughs> uh, no, I, I knew ahead of time that what I was getting myself into. I one of the things that I always do even to this day is I always check runtimes 
uh, for movies because uh, it kind of prepares me mentally for where I'm at. Right. Uh, just in case. Because uh, like I, I hate that feeling when I'm an hour into it and I'm like, fuck, there's still whole another hour left. Are you kidding me? This movie could be over in 10 minutes. And uh, but if I know ahead of time, if it, if I'm prepared for a slow burn, if need be. Right. You know, absolutely. So, well, but no, I, I, I was uh, because I was kind of on the edge of my seat at this point mm-hmm. because Sonny's death was pretty impactful. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know that Carlo had something to do with it um, because uh, he's literally like that whole scene where he's beating up Connie is the worst. When he's whipping her pregnant belly. Um, you know, that was bad. Mm-hmm. That made me just ashamed to be a human being watching that. Yeah. I was just like, Jesus Christ, it's I terrible. Didn't, I She's didn't breaking like everything. He's like, now clean it up. Takes off his belt and just starts smacking her. Oh my God. Okay. And what fucking world do you live in where you, I mean, it's never okay to hit another person, especially like a, a woman or a pregnant woman for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. But when they're the daughter of the fucking Godfather, are you kidding me? What kind of genius is this Carlo guy? What an asshole. And so. Uh, I mean, when he, even when he just punched her that one time, you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh. And, and you know, it sets it up pretty early when when he's like telling her to shut up you know, mm-hmm. at the dinner, right before the dinner. She's like, he's like, shut up and set the table. You're like, whoa, calm your tits, guy. And he was saying that in the Corleone home. And then when he tells her to shut up at the dinner table, you're just like, whoa, this guy's a real piece of work. Yeah. But I mean, I was just on edge. Like, I was so uncomfortable with that scene. I remember that. um when it switched to Sicily and the countryside, uh, it was kind of a palate cleanser for me, you know, just away from the horrible and in a just remote location where you can just, there's no Wi-Fi and you can just kind of hang out and read a book kind of thing. Um, I just remember just like being like, thank God now I can breathe. And then a fucking car bomb goes off and you're like, uh, Jesus Christ, this movie's never ending. I <laughs> know. Like, Man, when's it going to stop? Um, so I, I was 100% invested. You know, it was never a, a question of me ever being bored. It was what's going to happen next. Who's going to die next? There's a lot of people in this movie. Are they all going to make it to the end credits? Right. Absolutely. It was uh, no one's safe. It was a very Game of Thrones vibe where right. any, anybody <laughs> could be off or be sleeping with the fishes at any minute. Yep. And you're absolutely right. I mean, if he didn't cause an effect, if he didn't teach um, Apollina God damn it. I keep saying her name wrong. Um, if you didn't Apollonia? Te- Apollonia, ugh. if you didn't teach Apollonia how to drive, then he would have probably been the one that got, you know, explodey. So that's uh, really interesting. And I think that that sets up for the, the series where you constantly have to watch your back. You constantly have to watch your step and every decision you make could be your last. So um, I think it's it, it's fascinating, but at the same time, I think it strengthens Michael too because he trusts people to a certain extent. <laughs> he only goes so far with that trust, right? But so yeah. I always thought it was funny when um, Don uh, Tomasino, the guy, the guy in white that's always struggling to get out of the car. Oh yeah, <laughs> I fucking love it how he just can't get out of an automobile. It's like one of my favorite things in the movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He was a uh, how what was his connection? He was one of the crime bosses, but he was like in Italy. Yeah, so he's in Sicily. He's mm-hmm. he's uh he's a don in Sicily. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move along. Um and so I'll continue the story. Devastated by Sonny's death and realizing that the Tatalias are controlled by the now dominant Don Bar- Barzini, Vito attempts to end the feud. 
He assures the five families that he will withdraw his opposition to the heroin business and forego avenging Sonny's murder. His safety guaranteed, Michael returns home to enter the family business and marry Kay, promising her that the business will be legitimate within five years. Kay gives birth to two children in the early 1950s. With his father nearing the end of his life and Fredo too weak, Michael takes the family reins, starting to move the family business to Las Vegas. Expecting trouble due to this move, he insists Hagen also relocate to Las Vegas, but relinquish his role to Vito because Hagen is not a wartime consigliere. Vito agrees Hagen should have no part in what will happen in the coming battles with the rival families. When Michael tries to when Michael travels to Las Vegas to buy out Green's stake in the family casinos, he is dismayed to see that Fredo is lo- is more loyal to Green than to his own family. So Michael is now basically the Don. He is the boss. He's taken the reins. Are you sold on Michael as the boss at this point? I am. But I mean, uh, first we have like the whole five families get together. Oh, yeah. And, and Vito makes that, that pretty powerful speech mm-hmm. about, you know, this, I'll go along. I'll play your your game so you guys can make money. But this drug business is going to be the end of us. It's not going to work. And, you know, the idea they're going to be able to control it is absurd. And he knows that. And I like how he is like, I'm a very superstitious man. And if my son were to get hit by a bolt of lightning or, you know, uh, get killed by some freak accident, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hold some of the people in this room responsible. And I love that because that literally just guarantees his safety. Um, And I also like how when Sonny was killed, uh, he goes back to visit uh, Bonacera because at the beginning he was like, uh, you know, one day and that day may never come. I will call upon you to do a service for me until that day. Consider this a gift on my daughter's wedding day. And now he has to work his magic and use all of his powers so his mother can have an open casket and see her son at their funeral, which right. is pretty brutal. And the look on his face when he's like, oh, mama mia, <laughs> this is going to be hard to do. <laughs> I thought that was pretty <laughs> powerful. Uh, so there's a lot to digest just there alone. And, you know, once, once, and then he also figures out that it was Barzini that had uh, Sonny killed mm-hmm. uh, based on his demeanor and the way that he was acting and trying to run that meeting. Uh, you know, he saw Sonny as a hurdle and uh, he was able to see that, uh, Barzini was the one that uh, that gave the hit on Sonny, which is pretty awesome. And I like how uh, with Michael, he he's out of options, but he knew that Michael was the best option. He just never wanted that life for him. Right. Um, you know, Michael is the smart one. Sonny was just too much of a hothead to where it wouldn't work out. It would be a downfall out of all of them. Um, obviously, Fredo's just out of the picture, and then Tom can't do it because he's not Sicilian. Right. Um, but yes, if you ask me if I, if I believe that Michael is the right one for this job, uh, 100%. I'm, I'm totally on board with Michael. I love it when he gets to Vegas and Fredo's all excited to welcome him. <laughs> he's got this, you know, he, for he's a jolly good fellow vibe going. And Michael's like, dude, get these fucking people out of here. I mean, I'm here for one day. It's been business. And, you know, he really wants this to make this move to, to Las Vegas. And then Mo Green you know, he's coming off and he's, he's peacock and he's showing what he's got. And Michael isn't even phased. He's like, all right, well take the day to think about it. Yeah. I leave tomorrow. Oh my God. And, and I love that. He doesn't give him an inch. And he, and, and he focuses on you hit my brother. Like amidst this discussion, he's like, you hit my brother. He's like, he was banging two cocktail waitresses at a time, you know, like people need their drinks and he didn't care. He's like, 
this is my family and you struck my brother in public. Right. Um, cause he, cause he was saying that I had t- Mo Green was saying, you know, the, the Corleone family doesn't have that kind of muscle anymore. I talked to Barzini. I can work out a deal with him and keep my hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he's like, is that why you slapped my brother Fredo around? Uh, um, you know, because like, you know, he thinks that he's untouchable all of a sudden as a, that's certainly not the case as a viewer. We're like, well, he just signed his death sentence right there. Yeah. (laughs) And Mo Green is supposed to be, uh, sort of the, the Bugsy Seagal character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to go back real quick to the five family scene because in my opinion, like Marlon Brando, he won best actor for this role, I think, or best supporting actor, either one of those. And it was well-deserved. Al Pacino was snubbed, unfortunately, um, and he, he famously boycotted the Oscars because he wasn't um, or the Academy Awards because he wasn't nominated for Best Actor, which whatever it is what it is. But uh, when Don Corleone is at that meeting, he delivers my favorite monologue in the entire film. And I'll just read it. He says, you talk about vengeance. Is vengeance going to bring uh, your son back to you or my boy to me? I forgo I forgo the vengeance of my son, but I have selfish reasons. My youngest son was forced to leave this country because of the Salazzo business. All right. Now I have to make arrangements to bring him back here safely, cleared of all these false charges. But I'm a superstitious man, and if some unlucky accident should befall him, if he should be shot in the head by a police officer, or if he should hang himself in his jail cell, or if he's struck by a bolt of lightning, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room, and that I do not forgive. But, that aside, let me say that I swear, on the souls of my grandchildren, that I will not be the one to break the peace we have made here today. And that is incredible. I am like, I was blown away during that line because that is why he's, he, that's why he's Don. He, he, he has that, that kind of judgment, that kind of, you know, that gusto to him. It's a, it's very, very interesting. And, and, and I think Marlon Brando was phenomenal in this part. 100%. Yeah, absolutely love it. But cool beans so um moving moving along in 1955 after warning michael that whoever approaches him to arrange a meeting between him and barzini is a traitor Vito suffers a fatal heart attack at the funeral tezio another corleone capo asks michael to meet with barzini uh, with the meeting set for the same day as the baptism of connie's baby while michael stands at the altar as the child's godfather corleone hitmen murder the other new york city dons and mo green Tessio's treachery leads to his execution. Michael extracts Carlo's confessions to his complicity in setting up Sonny's murder for Barzini. Clemenza garrotes Carlo to death. Later, an enraged Connie accuses Michael of murdering her husband and tells Kay that Michael ordered all of the killings. Kay is at first relieved when Michael assents to discuss his business this one time and denies the accusation, but is dismayed when the Capos arrive to pay reverence to her husband as Don Corleone and close his office door on her. So there is a lot in that. Let's start in the first sentence. So basically, the garden scene when when Vito is basically uh, Vito Corleone is basically retired and he has that sit down discussion with with Michael, you know, his son. Um, it's a real heart to heart and a real amazing moment in the film. And he says, I knew Santino was going to have to go through all this. And Fredo, well, Fredo was uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refuse to be a fool dancing on the strings held by one of those big shots, which makes sense. The whole puppet thing for Godfather. Mm-hmm. That's my life. I don't apologize for that. But I always thought that when it was your time, that you would be the one to hold the strings. 
Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone, something. Um, that whole exchange between Al Pacino and, and, and Marlon Brando is, is pure cinematic gold. I love that scene so much because Michael just kind of understands, you know, like, well, I, this is what I have to do sort of thing. And he was the one that was supposed to escape the one that was supposed to get away. And it turns out he's the one who's taking over the family business. Um, and I think at the crux of the film, that's, that's, that's what it's about. It's about family and, um, following in, in, in the footsteps of, of what you were born to do. It's uh, pretty incredible, but what do you have anything to add for, for that, for that garden scene? Uh, no, no, uh, that's one of my favorite scenes is the garden scene. I agree. Because, uh, I mean, uh, just before that, uh, Clemenza and, and Tessio are complaining about having to get muscled out by Barzini and that one day they're going to be working for him and that they wanted to start their own family. And uh, they thought that that was, uh, you know, they're going to veto for that permission. And he's like, look, dude, I'm fucking retired, man. Like, That's Michael. And he's like, do you have faith in your godfather? And they're like, always, you know, and he's like, well, then put your faith in Michael. And um, right. half 50% of those two uh, don't stay true to that. Right. And it's a big deal. You know, I mean, if 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 Vito is on board, then they should be on board. Right. And he kind of just tells him, you know, they're going to want to set up a meeting with someone you trust but you're not going to trust him. And so that's obviously foreshadowing. You're like, oh, okay. So that's when Tessio was like, kind of talk to you at the funeral. It's like, I, we got a meeting set up, but we'll have my guys there. It'll be, it'll be fine. We all know, Michael knows that nah, you're gone. Tessio, this is a setup, but this is, this is where it gets crazy where there's a whole plan. Michael has an entire plan. People are worried, but he's like, don't worry. We're going to, we're going to take care of this. And the baptism scene the montage of the five people. I think it's five people that get killed. Yeah, it's the five families plus green. Yeah. So the four other families plus Mo Green, um, the heads, they get killed in this amazing, beautifully shot, beautifully acted, perfectly executed, no pun intended, montage. Justin, is the baptism scene one of the greatest scenes of all time in any film or most iconic <laughs> scenes of all time? I mean, I think it has its flaws. You know, there's a couple of hiccups with the murders, murders. Um, but I like the execution very well. I like how Vita, or, uh, Michael is not at the scene. It's uh, you got the a bunch of different things happening, like Mo Green's getting his massage. The one guy's in the elevator. The other guy's going through the turnstile. Barzini is, uh, you know, walking out to his car, but the cop is there writing the ticket. Uh, you know, there's all these things happening at once, one swift motion uh, to where it is just going to be, uh, you know, Michael, you know, cutting off the heads of all these snakes. Um, you know, it's going to leave them in disarray and then they'll be able to make their move out to Nevada. And I, I fucking love that. I love the execution of it. Um, there's, there's a lot going on, but it also happens very quickly. Yeah. Like, you know, the buildup, I feel I almost feel like there isn't really a an honest to goodness sort of crescendo. It is as soon as the baptism starts, the players are getting into their the pieces are moving into place, but they're moved very, very quickly. It's already a three hour movie. And what could be a pretty sweet setup is just more or less opening up a door and shooting a guy, open up a door, shooting a guy, open up a door, shooting a guy, as opposed to uh, in two, there's a really good 
sequence of a buildup to an execution mm-hmm. versus it all just kind of happening at once. So, I mean, I do think that uh, maybe if this was stretched out another like 90 seconds or something, or, or maybe another two minutes, uh, there could have been a much bigger payoff, but it was still really cool to see happen. Yeah. See, and I think it was perfect. I, I I literally think it was perfect. Aside from the little nitpicks like you were talking about too, with just some like, continuity issues. Um, I think that it was fan absolutely fantastic. Um, I remember first seeing the Godfather and I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that to happen. I knew he had a plan, but I also was scared Michael was going to get killed. And so, I mean, I think that kind of leads me to my other question too. Did you think that they were planning a sequel for this when this first one was getting made. Uh, I mean, to me, it feels like they are. It does, right? Just because everything kind of sets up how it should be. And Al Pacino, especially, his character really settles in and it's symbiotic to how he acts in in The Godfather 2. And I mean, even carries over to The Godfather 3 a, a little bit, but it seems like that's one whole film is, is part one and part two. Right. They play, they all, each one plays out like an origin story. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one is an origin story for Michael. The second one is very much an origin story for Vito. Vito. And it's paralleling. Michael's life is literally a parallel to, to Vito's only Vito died with family all around him. Whereas Michael messed up somewhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah. he dies sad and alone <laughs> on the you know, stairs that's, <laughs> that's uh that's brutal you know he he made some some incorrect choices mm-hmm. uh you know i don't know if it was hubris or anger or what but <laughs> michael goes down a different path whereas Vito dies a happy man mm-hmm. i think that uh two very different uh endings exist there uh but i do think that they both play out like origin stories which is pretty cool yeah where does this rank for you for al pacino performances uh it's pretty high up there i really enjoy this era of pacino uh you know 70s and 80s are some of my favorites Uh, i like him quite a bit in uh godfather and godfather 2 um i do think that uh michael is two different personalities in godfather and godfather 2 mm-hmm. uh, he's getting he was getting groomed in the first one but i mean he is a very cold man in two <laughs> yeah um but then i also like him in scarface too i think he's just fun and a little crazy and off-putting and, and creepy uh dog day afternoon it's another one in the 80s that, yeah uh, he's really fucking cool in that as well but then i i can't help but love how awesome he is in heat you know something that was you know, several decades later, um, you know, upwards of 25 years later, what was like 23, 24 years later. And uh, he's a different Al Pacino, but he's fucking awesome. And he's on point. And I, I mean, I even like him as coach D'Amato in any given Sunday. I think he's fucking, I I buy him as a football coach in that movie. I'm like, all right, whatever. He's fucking cool. I love him. So uh, I do think that this is one of those defining moments for him. Like this, this is the movie that, that uh, is probably his greatest performance. I would say two is probably better, but um, I, I just the character, if we're just going to call it the Michael Corleone character, I think is probably, yes, his best. Yeah, I That's agree. a long answer. I apologize. I no, 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 that's yes. great. No, that's great. I dig it. How'd you feel about uh, him killing Carlo? 
oh man, I, that couldn't come soon enough. And, and I, <laughs> right? I fucking hate that Carlo, man. <laughs> but um, I liked how when Carlo goes to hug him, he's like, get out of my sight. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, Dude. that's so funny. He's like, assures him, like, what am I going to do? You know, same with Sonny. Am I going to make my sister a widow? Come on. I just, I just was there for your kid's baptism. You know, we we're just going to put you on a plane, go to Vegas, and we'll sort it all out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we packed you a bag. And yeah. I fucking love that so goddamn much. Get out of my sight. Yeah. I mean, only that's don't, such a power move. Only don't tell me you're innocent because it insults yeah. my intelligence and makes me <laughs> very angry. Yeah. Ooh. Settling all business today. Oh, my I God. All family business. That. And yeah. the same with Tessio. Like, I mean, he's like, Tom, you think you could, you know, get me off the hook for all mm-hmm. time's sake? It's like, eat a dick, dude. You're yeah. going to have my brother murdered. Yeah. Tell him, I, tell him I've always liked him. It was just It was just business. I'm like, fuck you. That doesn't mean anything. That's... You know, you, you try to have him murdered and this whole ethos that you have in, in, in this gangster world where you're like, no, 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 it's just business. I'm going to kill him. You know, I've always liked you, but, but this is just business. Um, I think that that's a huge discussion, too, we, we could have. I don't know how much we want to dive into it too much, but I think that in, in many gangster films, I mean, you and I are very attracted to gangster movies. This is what our third one. We did the Irishman Casino and then this. Um Obviously, you really like them, and obviously, I really oh, like oh. them a lot too. And I think it's the, one of the aspects I absolutely adore for these films is the the ethical question of what's right, what's wrong. So, like when that one random uh, head don of the five families is like, "We'll do it real proper, right? You know, no kids, don't sell the kids," and uh, they have rules and regulations for how they do things. Like murdering's fine, but you can't murder a kid because that's right. wrong. I don't want it near schools. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I, I think it's just that whole idea too. And I think, um, what's his name? The, the old guy starts with a T who we were just talking about, uh, Tesla, Tessio, <laughs> Tessio. And he says, you know, it's never personal. Can you think you get me off the hook? I'm like, dude, yeah, you're right. Like eat a dick. You just tried to have him murdered. Why would we want to cater to you? So yeah. I, I think it's just so fascinating too. And I mean, even, even Vito Corleone who turns down, um, Salazzo, he's like, you know, you're a very smart guy. You're going to be very successful. You take care of that illegal drug thing, which I hate so much, but I wish you all the best. There's just these weird ethics in, in this. And I think that goes back to what I asked you earlier too, if there are any good guys in this movie. I mean, we're supposed to root for these main characters in these films, like, you know, everybody in Goodfellas. Um, but they're all evil people. They're all criminals. So it's not it's not something where you can there's a good and bad, a clear distinction between those. Right. So, I mean, when Michael's talking about killing McCluskey, he's like, you know, where does it say, you know, you can't kill a cop? I'm talking about a bad cop, a dishonest cop, a cop that's involved in drugs. You know, he's trying to uh, justify the the killing right and we, we've we've talked about this a thousand times that when you do something wrong you find ways to justify it right oh, that's God, just yeah. what you do and uh you try to, to to just sort of just pull pull the argument into your favor so yes mccluskey is a terrible police officer and a bad man but he's also you're also killing somebody <laughs> so exactly like, i don't know about all that so it's definitely a fine line I mean, I don't think it's a fun. I think it's I think it's just here's a line of sand. You're either a good guy or a bad guy. And everyone in this movie just happens to be on the other side. They're bad. But I mean, there <laughs> are varying degrees of evil. I mean, you can you can have someone that that is uh, a relatively good hearted person and, you know, wouldn't beat their wife or slap their kids around. But, you know, they're OK with killing another bad guy. Right. So, I mean, it's it's hard to really. You just you're a law abiding citizen or you are not. <laughs> they are not. 
<laughs> yeah. Do you think there was a, a wasted performance or, or like a weak part in this movie for you? Uh, the only part that I ever get up to go to the bathroom without pausing <laughs> is when Michael is walking along in the countryside of Sicily. I've, I can appreciate that it's beautiful, but I've seen it a thousand times. There's not a lot of talking and what talking that there is. I don't need it to progress the story. So mm-hmm. that's when I get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, much in the vein of like in Pulp Fiction when Butch gets into the taxi cab and talks to Esmeralda Villalobos. <laughs> I don't need that scene. I'm just like, I get it. It's there. It's, it's, a, she's kind of a weirdo. It's kind of a cooling off period from the crazy shit that just happened in the scene before. Right. And so I'm okay to go to the bathroom during that scene. Or like in Mad Max, when Nux talks to that one girl, they kind of, you know, fall in love or whatever. Yeah, at that moment. Yeah, I don't need just, that either. Because that, that entire movie is just nonstop, you know, edge of your seat action. And you're like, Jesus, give me a moment to breathe. And I think the Sicily part is the same kind of thing. You're like, I do not want to miss a, a line of dialogue. But yeah, you're right. If you've seen it before, Sicily is one of those times that, okay, well, he's just walking countryside. <clears throat> and um, obviously he gets more character building and, and Michael's arc is incredible, but you still get the rest of it. And it's not going to deter from you learning about his arc if you skip that part. Yeah. Do you have a scene like that in um, The Fellowship of the Ring by chance? So I would probably, ooh, um, yeah. I, 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 think, bet it's the, I bet it's the same as mine. Okay. <laughs> So, so I think I think to answer that fully, though, you have to look at the theatrical cut versus the extended cut. I uh-huh. o- only watch the extended cuts, so I'll probably just have to answer for that. But I think my, and I got to think if this is right, pretty much anything with Arwen and Aragorn, where they just have a conversation about like how they loved each other and stuff, that I'm like, eh, pass. I mean, I get it, it's cool, and I like it, but I'm just kind of, eh. The other one would probably be... Oh, man. I don't know. I think that that is. One of the only ones. What is yours from Fellowship? Okay, so mine is when uh, they are in the forest after Gandalf dies. Oh, yeah. And Aragorn and Boromir are talking. Mm. I I mean, it's an important moment, Mm -hmm. but I've seen it. I know where it's going, and I'm like, I, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be back in a <laughs> Don't pause it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I got you. I got you. Yeah, oh, he- only because the thing is, like, Boromir doesn't get the scene that he needs until Two Towers when he has the moment with his brother and his dad's yeah. a crazy person. And yeah. so the this moment of of respite where he's just like, you know, you don't know what it's fucking like, man. This city fucking sucks, and. You know, I, I, I am, I'm worried for my people and all this stuff. And I'm just like, dude, you've done nothing but piss me off for like the last <laughs> two hours. I'm, I'm going to go to the bathroom, you know? Yeah. And so that's just where I'm at. And I've always been that way with that scene. I'm just like, hey, hey, hey Dick Boromir. I mean, I end up liking him <laughs> and loving him. But uh, at that, the first time I saw it, I was just like, oh, okay, here we go. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> And yeah. it's stuck with me ever since. It's so weird. Yeah, no, I got you. I <laughs> I agree. I th- I think that part is is kind of wordy, and I'm like, eh, I could do without yeah. it. But I but mean, I, I, but... I love Lord of the Rings. So, oh yeah, me too, hands down. I mean, that's what that's what bumped out the Godfather for me is is mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, but I, I just love the first two so goddamn much. Uh, I know this movie is just it speaks to me, man. It just tell there's we talked about you know, in the shining and how there's so many scenes that where there's nothing's wasted. Everything has a purpose. 
Um, you know, I think you could argue that Coppola is like that in a lot of ways, man. There's, Absolutely. There's a lot happening uh, on the screen, even when nothing is happening. You know, yeah. this, the movie is three hours long and it's not even a heavy dialogue movie. No, uh, there's a lot of nonverbals. We, we could have plowed through the synopsis in no time at all. But we ha- literally, how many times did we say, well, let's let's go back for a second. Let's, yeah. let's digest what we just saw, because there's so much to unpack. Uh, and this movie is just an absolute fucking treat, and I love it so goddamn much, and I've seen it so many times, and I'm I'm already t- hyping myself up to watch The Godfather 2 again. Oh, me too, and um, Me too. And I just watched it on Saturday. I can't help it. It's so fucking good. It's yeah. incredible. Well, I mean, then let's let's do that. So, so I mean, I think this answers itself, but what's your, your letter grade for The Godfather Part 1? Oh, man, this movie is a... A near perfect film. There's a, just a couple of <laughs> couple of technical hiccups, but uh, this is an A plus for me across the board. This is one of those movies where if I'm stuck on an island and I'm only allowed a handful of movies, this is one of them. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, man. And honestly, this movie's cracked my top ten now. Um, and it, it's it's weird because I've seen all three of them and I own them on DVD, but it has been a long time since I've seen them. So. I remember two being phenomenal, but I I feel after watching it for next week's show, I'm going to love it even more than this one uh, just because of what I remembered. And I hope that's accurate. But I mean, this is this movie's got to be right now as it stands in my top 10 of all time. I, I cannot believe how good The Godfather is. I, I don't feel like there is a wasted moment in this film. I get what you mean with the Sicily part, but I just I it's paced so perfectly and we're seeing some of the best performances we've ever seen in film. And it's just, it's utterly beautiful. It is such a good movie. Um, I can't, I can't talk about it enough. So very good choice. And I'm glad we did this one. Yes. Uh, so are we going to do the Godfather two for next week's episode? Of no? course we are. Okay. Are you kidding me? We so have to make do sure. it. Just we, make sure. we, Justin, we have to, I can't, we can't just tease everybody like this. We gotta, okay. we gotta bring it around. Then we have to end with the piss poor Godfather three. So <laughs> we don't have to, we can just no, not do it. We got uh, to, but in, in Godfather two, um, you know, just to, just to prep everybody, you know, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is, uh, the murder of Don Finacci. And um, it's so fucking cool. There's this this festival going on and he's walking along and doing the, oh, you know, look at me. I'm an Italian mob boss kind yeah, of thing. And yeah. he's making a scene and the music's playing and, and Robert De Niro's playing. Vito Corleone is walking along the rooftops oh, kind of yeah. observing him. And, and it just builds up to this incredible murder. And I fucking love it so much. It is just so badass. And um, that Fanucci, he uh, he goes down like a sweet muffin. And I fucking love it. I'm here for it. And yeah. uh, I, I encourage you to watch these movies. They are available on Peacock. If you do not own them, uh, you can do the whole uh, seven day trial or whatever. And you will not be disappointed. Just fucking watch these movies. Uh, they are badass. At least the first two. I will not go on record saying I enjoy Godfather 3. I hope to be pleasantly surprised after 20 plus <laughs> years of watching of having not seen it. Uh, but it is, uh, how you say, not good. <laughs> not good. You know, that's interesting. I, I did read a stat um, or a fun trivia fact about that Don Finucci or whatever um, about his murder and that whole scene. But I, I'll have to find it because I can't remember because I was like deep diving all over the, the, the Internet about the Godfather and 
something was said about that. I mean, we didn't even really touch on the score very much in this in this podcast. We'll just do briefly. I think that the, the score is utterly incredible. It's remarkable in this movie and very much in the vein of how Lord of the Rings really that is Lord of the Rings. This score or like anything John Williams says, you know, is, is like that movie. This score is encompassed by uh, the film or other way around. But you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's, the Godfather um, Waltz is like it sets the tone for everything. Like in Fellowship, anytime you hear the da, 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 yeah. music, you're just like, yeah, we're gonna kick yeah. ass, kill some orcs. You know, it psychs you up. Whereas in this one, you're just like, oh, shit, something's happening. They're planning. They're plotting. Bunch mm-hmm. of schemers. Um, yeah, 100%. Oh, gosh, man. Love it. I would I would love to watch it again. It's just it's three hours and I don't have the time right now to watch it. Oh, man. It is very good. I watch a two lot of is, YouTube Two is videos. almost four. Two is like three I know. Hours. I'm going like to have put, to put a block of time for that one. So I'm excited, though. But um, cool. Well, uh, that was it. Do you have anything else to add? I do not think so. Um, other than uh, this movie is amazing. And I am so glad that uh, we are we are talking about it. I can talk about these movies forever and all eternity. And um, you will not get any naysaying from me. When cool. it comes to the Godfather one or two. Well, perfect. We just talked about him for an hour and a half. So that was excellent. Excellent. But uh, anyhow, well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Had an amazing time. That was a really, really fun episode. And I hope y'all liked it. Uh, remember to follow us on social media. We have Twitter at DBCrazyPod. Uh, Justin is at EdgyArmo. And Zach is at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us. And we will discuss them on our show. Uh, make sure if you give recommendations, they are streaming because that makes it available for everyone. And that is the way to go. It's pretty awesome. You know, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Of course, I just said that. So I don't know why I read that. I apologize. But also be sure to check out the other uh, Geek Legacy, the other podcast. You got the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy and Justin, where they talk about everything in the realm of geekiness. And it is hilarious. They are some funny guys as well as the video game podcast, The Pixelated Podcast, with Stephen K. Jaynes and Justin as well. Lots of fun stuff there. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.